I'm Brian Walsh, and from Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. We have a lot of work to do in getting financing and support to small and micro businesses. History has shown, and there's, it's well documented, how hard it has been to do. And while we talk a lot about, from a policy perspective, how much we support these businesses, how much we value them, not nearly enough money goes into these businesses and not nearly enough support. That's where I am hopeful. And I do believe that out of this, we may have a better outcome for the support of these really critical businesses that really are us. That's Graham McMillan head of the Visa Foundation. Today in the show, Graham speaks with Impact Alpha's David Bank about how the foundation is responding to the COVID crisis. Let's jump right into their conversation. Hi, Graham. Hi, David. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining us today. We've been wanting to catch up with you. I know it's been a crazy time uh, with uh, with the pandemic, but you put out an, an announcement a few weeks ago, and it, it made me say, I got to call Graham and hear all about what the Visa Foundation's up to. You got there about June of last year from the Ford Foundation, and you landed yourself right in the frying pan here. So maybe just give us a little context about Visa Foundation, and then I'd love to get to the the recent announcement and what you're doing in, in the COVID context. But just tell us what the Visa Foundation is, because it's an interesting story. Thanks, David. I mean, listen, I you and I have been down the road together for a while, and you know it's it's been um, a rough few few uh, months for for so many. So appreciate the chance to have a conversation with you in, in that context. But um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, I joined in June of last year, uh, really with a terrific opportunity to help in many ways uh, build and grow a foundation that was just about three years old. Uh, we were founded in 2017. Uh, we were uh, privileged enough to be capitalized with about $400 million in assets. And uh, it was with that uh, commitment uh, that allowed us to uh, build a foundation that would address uh, small and micro businesses around the world, uh, particular emphasis in emerging markets, but um, but really uh, small micro businesses around the world. And what, as you can imagine, with uh, the opportunity to consider how $400 million in assets could be utilized, what was particularly appealing for me uh, when I joined the team was to not only help to build the foundation and really help focus it on on how we would develop strategies to serve the mission, but also how to utilize the assets um, beyond just what we could do in a grant-making approach, but we could also consider it from an investment approach as well. Let me just break in um, because I think folks would be interested to know, it's, it's fairly unusual. People know about philanthropic foundations, of course, but corporate foundations, I understand mostly it's a kind of annual contribution from the corporation. It's fairly right. unusual to have an endowment of a corporate foundation, is. isn't that right? It is. It's quite, a, it's quite so unusual. So you guys have a $400 million foundation. Right. And as you said, most corporate foundations are considered sort of pass-through foundations, right, where they get a, a certain allocation from the company once a year. And they deploy those assets uh, typically in the form of grants. And, and that you know allows them to create a, a certain set of programs and, and deliver a certain approach. Uh, uh, unlike, say, the Ford Foundation, which uh, you alluded to, my previous employer has a set of assets that were endowed and require it to uh, manage them because the board's not getting any additional resources anytime soon. It requires that that institution to operate with a different set of parameters. Uh, for Visa Foundation, we're really in a very privileged position because, you know, obviously we've got these assets and, and we have an intention of really utilizing them in a way that advances our mission. Um, but we're not, uh, we're associated obviously with a company that uh, from a financial standpoint, at least last year, had an incredibly healthy year. And so it allows us to make a set of choices uh, to advance the mission of the foundation and to utilize our assets in a way that either the Ford Foundation and other sort of private independent foundations typically 
don't have the same choices or corporate foundations don't have the assets themselves to make those choices. So we're really in a very unusual position, which is one of the appealing aspects of why I joined Visa was to help build the foundation and utilize those assets, as I said before. And as I shared, we we're really looking at these assets, both from a grant making standpoint, as we're required to have you know, the, the, the payout uh, that we do. Um, and we anticipate going beyond that payout, I might add. We're not anticipating being a 5% payout foundation. We will, we'll, we will go beyond that. You're hitting all of my favorite topics, Graham, of the 5% payout <laughs> and the... And the... <laughs> yeah, we've modeled a payout that's more than that. And, and, you know, we should talk about the context in which we find ourselves with the markets and pandemic and, and sort of this, I believe you call it the 10X commitment, you know, that, that we... Glad you uh, noticed that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I commend it and I think it's it's important. Um, and we're we're lucky enough to consider that, right? Because we have this unusual context of being where, where we are. Um, but in addition to the grant making, we can do investments. Terrific. I want to I kind of want to walk you through, you know, it, it does seem like a terrific opportunity for, for you to put, you know, into play a lot of the things we've talked about, as you say, over the years. And you and 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 just maybe, you know, you think about a an impact investing strategy, obviously, for the endowment. Then you obviously think about a immediate and and in the covid context you know grant driven humanitarian uh relief but so you could kind of have all the tools in the toolbox at some level and so i'm fascinated by how you kind of set about thinking about that and then and then even more you know pointed then the pandemic comes and you've got to sort of um you know put that all into play like quickly so if you could kind of give us a little bit of the you know behind the scenes at the visa foundation as you as you put all this together um that would be the that'd be the great story yeah so imagine yourself in this role starting in june of last year where you've got uh, a relatively new foundation uh, that had done some grant making we have a, a significant relationship with women's world banking and and we had done some res- uh, disaster response grant making often that, that corporate foundations do um, and some some uh, very community focused work in the bay area but by and large, we really hadn't stepped into our shoes, so to speak, right? We hadn't sort of fulfilled the mandate that the board had put out there of having a $400 million endowment and having a, a mission to support uh, underserved communities around the world with a particular focus on small and micro businesses. Um, and one of the appealing reasons for me to join was that it was new and it was a chance to build a, an institution, put in place uh, the strategy and, and working to really fulfill that mission. And what also was appealing, as you can imagine, was that we had $400 million uh, in assets. And so when I joined, it was really an issue of, okay, so what, how do we optimize the, the circumstances? And, you know, I benefit from working at just a, um, a set of organizations prior, prior to Visa that are, have given me all, all these tremendous lessons learned and, and, and valuable experiences, not the least of which was the Ford Foundation and the Mission Investments uh, team, or city uh, for that matter, prior to Ford. And it really was clear to me that in the 21st century for a corporate foundation with $400 million in assets, to, to not consider how to optimize those assets, to not consider how to utilize those assets uh, fully to advance the mission uh, would be a lost opportunity. And so working with the foundation team and our social impact colleagues, that's the group where the foundation sits within Visa, we really saw it to develop a strategy that was aligned to the values of Visa, what we stand for as a company, our, our purpose, um, and, and what we're trying to achieve in the world, but also what we can do from a from a from a tool standpoint, right? So, I, I, as I said before, we we've got these assets. We can use grant making as an approach, but we can also use investments as an approach. So, 
really over the first sort of nine months, we worked towards creating a signature programmatic initiative that we could organize our, our resources, our time, effort, and energies to stand up and, and bring to bear the grant making and the, and the investment strategy. And that's what we had been building towards. And then uh, COVID-19 started to emerge. Uh, and, and I think it's important to note that we had been a part of tracking and addressing the impacts of COVID-19 all the way back in, in, in January. Um, given our global presence, uh, our colleagues in China uh, had started to signal to us that this was becoming a real issue. And that, in fact, we provided a a $250,000 grant to the, the Chinese Red Cross um, back, all the way back in January. That's an interesting thing to note, which is, you're, as you said, you're sitting right next to Visa. Uh, I imagine, you know, given the transaction volumes and the patterns and the data and all that, you guys have a kind of front row seat on the what's happening in the, you know, everywhere, right? We do. Uh, it's the it's the power of that global network. And most importantly, David, as, as you can imagine, our, our people, our colleagues, and in those early days, it was clear that there was something different. We didn't know the dimensions of it, of course, that we are now all sort of experiencing now, but we were keeping our eye on it and we were tracking. And as it started to progress, we at the foundation and social impact team specifically, not to suggest that Visa wasn't tracking it too, but on our end, we started to say, well, what are we going to do as a foundation uh, that is still relatively new, but has these tools and had these plans emerging? to address uh, small micro businesses, to, to think about um, how, how we could step into that. What we started to put together was a plan that said, how do we think about the long term? You know, how do we think about small micro businesses, not only today and where, where they are in our mandate from our mission, but how will they be in a, in a world where um, small micro businesses are devastated because of COVID? Um, and how do we also think, however, about um, our corporate responsibilities as a good citizen from a humanitarian assistance standpoint? So uh, as, as, as you know, and you covered, uh, we made a, a commitment a few weeks ago that tries to address both. It's a $210 million commitment uh, over the next five years, both in the short run that will address humanitarian assistance needs. Uh, so things like frontline healthcare workers, PPE, things of that nature, again, globally. So this is, this is across five regions of the world in which Visa operates. But we're also trying to think about the economic conditions that so many small micro businesses are, are facing now, both in the short term, immediate term, but also in the recovery. And that's what I'd love to spend some time talking to you a bit about, because particularly for the listeners of Impact Alpha, um, we think about how capital can be deployed to advance a mission, to advance a positive uh, social outcome. And in the context well, in which me... we find ourselves, it's a very different it's a very different reality, as you know, and you've been leading on that dialogue. Well, that's, that's exactly what I wanted to engage you on, because like you said, you had a small and growing business strategy. Uh, as you said, it, it grows out of Visa's, you know, obvious, you know, natural role in, in transactions and whatnot, and, and, and small business being a, a major part of that, but also an emerging market focus. And also, I think, a gender lens focus um, to, to reach women entrepreneurs, women customers, um, you know, w women tend to be the leaders in, in, in most things in, in most communities, um, which so all of that sound, made a lot of good sense, obviously, pre COVID, then you r that run into this pandemic. And as you said, the, you know, in many countries, you go to lockdown, revenues go to effectively zero. Um, many, many businesses could just be you know, not survive to the other side, and 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 doesn't matter how how good a, an idea it was or or how well run a business it was pre COVID. If you don't survive, you know, it's not going to be there post COVID. So, how did you even think about kind of grappling with that challenge? Well, I think one of the first things that I'll say is acknowledging where your north star 
is. And in the discussions about how we as the Visa Foundation would respond, how we would engage, we really considered a range of different options. And we had to acknowledge that there was a short-term humanitarian assistance need, which again, we are uh, anticipating that a lot of the $10 million commitment that we had made will be deployed within the next uh, week or so. So we're, we're making progress on that front. But as we thought about how do we consider this sort of the recovery, it was, it was remarkably complex, but it wasn't complex at the same time, David. When you have a conviction that these, these very enterprises and the people that are behind them, the founders, the employees, if you keep them at the center, you know that the commitment to support them was the right commitment to begin with. Um, and that fact that we put women at the center of that further still only reinforced why coming out and being public about that commitment made sense. Uh, because you alluded to, women um, in the response phase make up so many of the roles that the healthcare workers, who the healthcare workers are. I mean, certainly, um, if we think about the nature of the recovery phase, where women who are um, running businesses are so central to that recovery, and if we put women at the center, we believe that the the recovery will ultimately be more durable and inclusive. So it really just reinforced that the strategy that we had thought of to begin with made a lot of sense. Uh, and so to stick to that commitment was, frankly, a decision that was rather easy. What I think, to your point, is really important to discuss is, OK, so if that's the case, if your North Star hasn't changed, but everything around it has changed, what do you do? And that's the world in which we find ourselves. And I know so many of your listeners, so many of the folks that we've worked with are facing that right now. How do we think about organizations that um, have an ability to lean in versus organizations that are in life support? And we can mean NGOs or we can mean for-profit companies. What choices do you make when you think about how you're going to allocate capital? Do you allocate capital to organizations that are on life support or do you uh, allocate capital to organizations that are able to lean in? These are all very tough choices in which we find ourselves. Uh, and as we embark on this execution of the $200 million initiative, again, using both a combination of grant resources, and then investment dollars, that consideration set is where we find ourselves today. So uh, I think we should talk about that. But I think your point around the 10x commitment that uh, Impact Alpha has been leading on is really important. What I think we need to do is really, um, is we need to double down. Uh, we need to uh, really consider how these resources get deployed, uh, not just rapidly, but but smartly. And I think this is the conversation that you've been leading on, David, is what does smart mean in this context? Where does resilience, durability come in? Where does uh, equity come in? And where does inclusion come in? And how, how do we invest in those institutions that will, will perpetuate that? That's Those are the questions that we're asking today. Those are great questions. And, and, and thank you for the 10X reference, because that really does sort of frame up a lot of things, which is not just that everybody has to ramp up 10X, but that there are these orders of magnitude. And as you said, so even the 200 million or the 400 million of Visa Foundation, even if you you know threw it all into the into the breach, as it were, you know, is a drop in the bucket of what's needed in these markets and for the, those kind of small and growing businesses. And so there's really almost an orders of magnitude kind of um, discussion to be had about how do you get from the hundreds of millions to the billions to the tens of and, and, and hundreds of billions and and even probably in, in terms of the need and the and the gap there you know the trillions to see it through to the other side so so that's a kind of orders of magnitude question as well as well as the kind of what's the where's the leverage in in philanthropic money or in, in, in impact investing money and I'd be curious how you sort of see your you know how you can how you can be meaning you know play meaningful role with what sounds like a lot of, a lot of money but in the scheme of things may not be really all that much money well you know 
yeah, you know, in this space, that scale question always it's it's been that sort of residual question that's there and and now more than ever. Uh, I think what's we're very lucky at, uh, at the Visa Foundation because we have an opportunity to lean in in these times where so many uh, impact investors, for different reasons, um, need to be cautious, need to be conservative, need to consider a number of factors that force them to wait and see where. I think we are in a position, um, again, a privileged position to say, no, we're, we're, we're moving forward. We're going to honor this, this commitment and we have an ability to do so. And fortunately, we see other institutions that are doing the same. Uh, and I think where we, we are in a really uh, important period trying to suss out who those partners are that are leaning in, that are aligned, that are capable. Uh, and as we talked about before, because we have this sort of global uh, footprint, that's, that is a challenge in and of itself, because to think, how do you address this global pandemic in a global way uh, with institutions that uh, typically aren't organized globally? And, and how do you then regionalize and contextualize your response is a, has been very much on our minds and, and how we execute that has been very much a challenge. The other thing, David, as you know, it's one of the benefits that I have having done this work for uh, for so long now is I have a network of colleagues and contacts and trusted allies. And so as we think about how we respond, it's easy for me to have a conversation with David because I know you, David. I've worked with you. And and, and yet there's so many uh, partners and institutions that we want to support that maybe our networks haven't or that aren't a part of our networks. And just because of the privilege of access, we shouldn't oversee them. We should We should figure out a way to identify them and to engage with them, but it will likely be done virtually, at least for the, the near term. So how do we consider that as we think about partners that we might not otherwise have known either from, you know, being at conferences together or having a chance to sit down and have lunch together, whatever the case may be. And, and part of the challenge here, of course, is how do we not advantage those that have the privilege of the network? And how do we consider those that are disadvantaged by not having been in that network? And that's really a challenge that we face um, as we try to put in practice our values and our intentions. One of the things that's been coming up through a lot of conversations we've been having lately is sort of this notion that it's really about sort of distribution channels and, as you say, networks um, to reach both, uh, you know, just in, in, in the, the small and big growing business uh, case, you know, that, for example, not all businesses have banking relationships. So if your capital relief uh, loan money is flowing through banks, um, it may not reach businesses that don't have banking relationships. We saw that in the the PPP government uh, small business relief in the in the U.S., but it's even more case I think in in emerging markets. Um, and then the second part of that is if you do create these kind of channels and distribution channels or or find them, as you say, then how can you um, you know possibly you know even in the post COVID in recovery phase, you know, push more capital through, you know, create the channels and then push more capital through them. So create those networks um, that reach down into the into yeah. the communities as, that may or may not have been served. Um, uh, it's, no, it's, it's, it's just point. a daunting challenge that all has to be done at once, it sounds like. Well, I, I think a couple of important things. First, I think any one of your listeners will, will cringe when they hear, geez, we need to create another thing um, because we know there's so many institutions or efforts that have been done done before. So we're, we're always mindful of, of what's been done before. And I don't mean, mean we, the Visa Foundation, I mean, all of us, I think we're very thoughtful to that. But I think one of one of the things that this pandemic has uncovered is where there are gaps, whether they be in, institutional or, or, or transactional or what have you. And I think what we've certainly seen is that sort of these small and micro businesses that have, have a focus on women. And these are small and micro businesses, if we think from a segmentation standpoint, that are and to use the famous terminology, the most missing of the missing middle, 
these are institutions that historically didn't get access to capital to begin with. And now in this period of time, they're even more at, at risk. And so we have uncovered uh, gaps. And I think in those circumstances, you either have to think about creating solutions to fill those gaps or organizing existing efforts to fill those gaps. And that's really the phase that we're at. And I think you're familiar with some of the efforts that are emerging. Um, and I think part of this becomes an information exercise and, and a transparency exercise, why Impact Alpha and other platforms are so critical to make evident what's out there and what efforts are underway. And I, I will tell you, and I think you know this probably better than I, the number of efforts to respond to COVID, uh, what, no matter what segment or what sector, it's tremendous. Um, it's actually a little hard to manage. It's a little hard to sift through what's what. And I think there is a, a need to do so, to filter, to get a sense of what's valid and what's not valid or what's viable and what's not viable or what's germane to what you're doing and what's not. Um, there's also a need to organize when gaps need to be filled because there's been a failure in the, in the market. Uh, and so that's the effort that we're trying to, we're trying to be a, we're trying to do this, David, I think it's really important to say with a lot of humility. Uh, we know that there's a lot of effort out there. There's a lot of experience, far more than we, we have, particularly uh, as the Visa Foundation. We're learning and we're trying to be supportive. We're trying to be a puzzle piece that fits in with the other puzzle pieces. I think the challenge in all of this, of course, is the sense of urgency that we have, uh, the, the, just the fundamental dynamic nature of what this pandemic is, is bringing to, to um, economies. Uh, and then fundamentally, ultimately, I think what we're seeing is a, is a big systems change. There's a realization that things need to be done differently. And how do we be thoughtful to that? And that's a, those are a lot of variables to deal with. But I, I know for one thing for certain that we, we're not doing it alone, that our intent is to do it in partnership with others. Uh, and our intent is to use our, our assets, our capital in a way that's, um, that reflects our commitment to that, that it goes beyond just what we could do in normal days, but to do so in, with a sense of urgency and with a real sense of commitment. I hope that's a helpful sense of how we're looking at the picture, because it is so very complex, as you know. Well, absolutely. And you mentioned system change, and that's on everybody's lips, at least. And I want to say, I want to just ask you sort of for your view. I mean, when you say put out a, uh, an announcement like you did in, 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 er, in early part of April that said we're going to invest, um, you know, there was, as you said, there was the humanitarian relief, there was the nonprofit um, grants, and then there was this $140 million of impact investing Money. Once you once you say that you've made that commitment, I'm sure you hear from a lot of folks. We do. Um, and my yeah. question would be, um, my question would be, from what you're hearing, do you sense that in fact the COVID disruption, as it were, will actually leave behind that kind of system change, and that some of the solutions that get stood up on an urgent basis actually have some legs um, on an ongoing basis, or you know. Possibly the conclusion might be the opposite, that um, no, the, the hit is too great. And, you know, as you said, a lot of businesses are going to fail despite anybody's best efforts. And that, in fact, really, you know, we're going to just have to rebuild from a much more, you know, I don't know, um, uh, you know, rebuild from the rubble, as it were. Yeah, I, my response to that, David, is probably it's just simply too early to tell. You know, history is a great teacher. And I think if we look at sort of similar cataclysmic events, we know that in some form or fashion, systems have changed, whether it's done through uh, markets or policy or, or 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 what have you, and I and I think that that will be a part of will be a part of this. But to what degree, I just I just don't know. I I one one outcome I do hope though, uh, I do hope that we have a deeper appreciation of the the role that small 
businesses, small and micro businesses play in the fabric of our society, of our culture. And with, whether as an American, I say that, or as uh, somebody who's worked in India, or you get my point is that they are who we are. They are our neighbors. They're our family. Um, they're our friends. And and I just, I can't imagine a world where we don't have um, that local store that we go to because they know who we are and they make sure that they give us the things that we need, uh, that, um, you know, they'll open their doors up for you, even though they're closed because you might need that, that personal touch, that sense of connection to community. If we lose that, I, that's what makes me very, um, makes me very scared for that, um, loss of culture and that loss of connection and that loss of a sense of community. And that at the same time is where I am hopeful because I think people yearn to have that connection and that sense of purpose and the values that come from that uh, and the sense of ownership. Uh, and I, I am hopeful. And I, what I do hope the change is out of this is that we value that more perhaps and have more intention therefore um, in that endeavor. And, and we have a lot of work to do in getting financing and support to small and micro businesses. History has shown, and there's, it's well-documented, how hard it has been to do. And while we talk a lot about, um, from a policy perspective, how much we support these businesses, how much we value them, not nearly enough money goes into these businesses and not nearly enough support, whether it from a policy regulatory standpoint or capacity building and training. And so that's where I am hopeful. And I do believe that out of this, we may have a better outcome for the support of these really critical, these really, really critical businesses that really are us. And uh, I hope we just play a helpful contributing role. Uh, but your questions have been really helpful to me to remind me uh, that we keep asking them as an institution, that we keep asking them as a partner, and that we really do everything that we can to empower our grantees and our investees over this journey of five years to give them a, a fighting chance. And frankly, that we create a space for others to be a part of it, because this is certainly uh, not about just the Visa Foundation. This really is about a much bigger, um, bigger goal and a bigger objective. I really appreciate that, Graham. We had a good story recently that uh, talked about the recovery actually from the Ebola epidemic, which had a similar kind of shutdown of, of many months in Liberia and Sierra Leone and, 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 and elsewhere, but in those two countries. And some of the lenders actually, it turns out, thought that all their loans would be defaulted on because how could the uh, shopkeepers and the small business owners pay their loans? And they thought, you know, as a result, they wouldn't be able to make new loans. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't have the liquidity and whatnot. What they found out actually was that as soon as the lockdowns lifted, even businesses that had failed, those small business people were super eager to get back on their feet and that they needed really a lot of liquidity and a lot of loans to do so, but that they were doing their damnedest to, 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 to repay their loans and keep current so they could get new loans. And in fact, the rebound was sharper than expected because of this um, hunger to restart from everybody. So just as, as we do sort of mourn, I think already some of the losses of lots of local businesses, certainly out here and, and possibly where you are, and I think in, in emerging markets, obviously starting as well, that we don't sort of let that define the narrative as it were or the or the the mood and remember that you know hey there's lots of people who are going to be super eager to get get rolling and get going and and they're going to need they're going to need lending and they're going to need support as you say and they're going to need capital yeah two really important points on what you say one is you need the viable institutions that'll be there to support them when they get up when they raise their hand and say i'm ready to go right so we need institutions whether they be ngos or investment intermediaries or or what have you they need to be viable 
So we can't forget about making sure that they're they're around when that time comes. So really important point, I think that you you made me that that triggered that. The other fundamental thing I think as we think about small micro businesses, they're the closest proxy to fundamental human aspiration. I mean, if we think about anybody that you've ever known who has started a business, and, and sadly I've started a couple failed businesses in my life, it is it is your emotion, your um, your heart and your soul in, in an expression of the form of enterprise. And there's something deeply powerful in that. And to your point in the example of those that were uh, enterprises that recovered from the Ebola epidemic shows how when, when people are empowered uh, and given the right tools, there's a lot that can get accomplished that will um, is so very important. And so, again, if we just create um, or enable a set of institutions to survive, to, to get through this very difficult time, so that when uh, when when the entrepreneurs rise up and, and say we're ready to go, they have the tools that are necessary to succeed. But to your point earlier, David, but let's make sure that when we move forward, that they are um, that they're valued and supported in a way that's enduring, uh, that's inclusive, and that has equity in it. That's I think for us what's really critical. But I I just really appreciate your comments because they're so they're really they really are so very true. Well, thank you, Graham, and 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 it's going to be fascinating, and I hope we can stay in good touch. Um, you know, you've you've you're you're sort of the new kid on the block, but that also gives you the chance to <laughs> to sort of think fresh, think freshly, think freshly or fresh, um, think different. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's been a long time since anybody's called me the new kid on the block, so thank you, David. I, uh, I really appreciate it. It's like getting carded, uh, so I like that. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. You can read more about Graham and the Visa Foundation at impactalpha.com. Only subscribers receive full access to Impact Alpha content, including deal flow, job postings, and a Slack channel. Thanks to David Bank, Graham McMillan, and our producer Isaac Silk, who also wrote the theme song. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact at the fintech company Liquinet. We'll see you in some sense of the word next time. Until then, take care. <laughs>